0: From the Zack Snyder fan club, it's the IGN guys. Now, please welcome Baby Doll and Sweet Pea, Wade Major, and Mark Kaiser. One of our listeners knows my sore spot. Corey, who is it? That was brought to you by Chevelle Dixon, who knows the names of characters in Sucker Punch. And so do I. Yeah, unfortunately, I remember that, too. Uh, so, uh, Mark, interesting. Uh, let's just start off on something, first of all, the heat in Los Angeles.
1: It is, uh, it is three degrees cooler than hell. It's horrible. In the San Fernando Valley. It's ridiculous. Yes, it is. It's
0: insane. No, it's not just in the San Fernando Valley. It's everywhere.
1: It's, oh, good. It's, it's, it's I'm like, glad.
0: It's like 95 degrees everywhere. It's, an, it's, it's completely insufferable, uh, which I know is the reason that people like to live here. But, you know,
1: at, a certain, point,
0: at a certain point, you kind of want to go Arctic. You really do.
1: I, to, you know, to me, whoa, who did that? That was me, Wade.
0: I know. <laughs> I know. I
1: was reading about Donald Trump. You, <laughs> you, you, you were setting up the show. You were setting up the whole computer thing, and I was reading about uh, Donald Trump because he's just – he's just, funny. He is the entertainer in chief. <laughs> he, is our, he is our misogynist in chief.
0: I haven't I – haven't, you know, it's just – it's funny because, you know, not, not, not to throw anything political out, but we're going to f- just for a second because the whole Bernie Sanders-Donald Trump thing, the tandem – um, I'm just wondering how how are people around the world covering this because people must look at this as just what is what is going on I, over I, there. I,
1: I, but Bernie Sanders feels of a mainly of a piece with the Democratic Party, where Trump is like he's this guy who's going out there saying but, the most ridiculous things, but, getting covered <laughs> by all the media. Whatever he does, whatever he does, whatever but, but you have got says. to
0: admit, Bernie Sanders is like your crazy old uncle. Well, that's fine. The guy, but that's he's, the guy that like gets everyone screaming at each other at Thanksgiving dinner.
1: But he he's not he's not commanding. The general media attention, like he's getting
0: seventy-three, like twenty-seven and twenty-eight thousand people in stadiums. He's getting five times as many people as Hillary Clinton to his rallies. Hillary
1: Clinton's done. (laughs) No, what what I'm saying is, is that in terms of just the way the amount of coverage in the media.
0: True, that's true.
1: Trump is just because look, everybody sees ratings and clicks. Look, Trump means clicks. Bernie Sanders does not mean clicks unless it's on the Huffington Post or whatever
0: i I find the whole thing monstrously entertaining, so do i I, I really do
1: uh, i'm, I'm not who knows
0: how it all pans out but i'm I, not, I, not,
1: I'm not sure what I'm not sure what's worse Trump staying in the race <laughs> or leaving the race because if he leaves the race, the race becomes much less entertaining, but oh, if he stays in the race, then we we become more of a laughing stock to he, the world
0: He is single handedly responsible for for Lindsey Graham making a YouTube video. Of himself in slow motion, taking a baseball bat to his cell phone.
2: What,
1: Lindsey Graham? Uh, really? He probably <laughs> didn't know what, what YouTube was. <laughs> insane.
0: All right. Anyway, we got a show, uh, and we want to give a shout out too. We, you know, we have a lot of listeners who have who are doing their own thing on on YouTube and on blogs and whatnot. And we want to we want to start giving some of you a shout out. And Mark, we're giving a shout out this week to uh, to Wildman Willis.
1: Yeah, Wildman Willis. Yeah. Now he's, what's he's, his? W- he's on Facebook. He Facebook. posts. He posts these uh, uh, film reviews. It's just. Uh, it's just he's, wild man. Just him talking about a movie. He always sees it like right. I'm not sure if he sees like the Midnight Show, like the Friday 12:01. He gets show. him up pretty
0: punctually. He's he's on top of it. Oh he, Oh no. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm not sure if he sees the Midnight Show or the or maybe the 10 a.m. show on the Friday, but he's up with it quick, man.
0: So what's his? What's his? Uh, wh- he's got the YouTube page, right?
1: You expect me to know this stuff off the I top do. of my head? I
0: do. I expect you haven't memorized. No, he's got his. He's got his feed there somewhere on on the, on the channel. Well, he has What's he, the channel.
1: It's it's called uh, it's called uh, uh, it's called uh, I, it's called checking my uh, my computer right now. <laughs> <laughs> what it's called? It's called Willis Wheeler. There you go. W i l l i s Willis Wheeler.
0: All right.
1: And by the way, Willis, it's the same shot of Willis every time. It is Willis's head in front of some cat some closets.
0: That's fine. That's That's when you look at the thumbnails. It's okay.
1: Hang on a second, Willis. Let me tell you something. Willis, do yourself a favor get a backdrop. No, yes, make your thumbnail either the movie you're reviewing with maybe your, your head in the poster or something, or vary the backdrop. I'm just saying, you know, because the thing is that when you go to your page and you see it's the same thumbnail every single time, people may think that either. There's not a lot of variety there. They may think maybe that it, maybe it's a mistake and it's the same review over and over again. So I'm just saying I would make the thumbnail something clickable and enticing for people to investigate all your other video reviews, which are all very good. Either make the thumbnail the poster for the movie, maybe you put your head in it or something, or vary the backdrop. Well,
0: it is on, uh, on YouTube, Willis Wheeler, W-I-L-L-I-S and W-H-E-E-L-E-R, and uh, good stuff. Willis, keep, on, keep it up. Keep it up. Um,
1: and you got some free advice from me. There you go. Which, which you ignore, which, like which, I get,
0: which I get all the time. So just ignore it, like I do. Yeah,
1: everyone ignores my advice.
0: And uh, you know what, Mark? I also figured out this week why it is that I do not have a tattoo. I finally came to the conclusion why I do not have a tattoo. Do you know why?
1: Because you want to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. I
0: cannot. Dis- I wouldn't be able to decide which Kylie Minogue album cover. I huh. just w- to choose. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to choose. A certain, you know, which Kylie Minogue album cover I would want. So to normally, make. I
1: say stop the recording when you say stupid yeah. jokes, but I, you got to stop the recording. Ah, I don't know what that was. <laughs>
0: I'm not going to. Well, what does
1: that mean? I, uh,
0: what does they're, Kylie Minogue like, to with they're anything? There are like, like uh, two dozen Kylie Minogue album covers. If you have to pick one for a tattoo, that's a that's a burdensome.
1: I have task. no idea what that means. Is okay. it, is, is that a, is that a story or no. people doing let's stuff? Let's talk about. Let's talk with about Kylie it? Minogue. No, I don't
0: know. It's uh, a it's, it's a so bang.
1: 2003 of you. Uh, thank d- you. People do do people tattoo Kylie Minogue. Maybe let's let's get to the bottom of where this joke came from.
0: No, do you want to talk about it? No,
1: do people tattoo Kylie Minogue album covers on their body? I would,
0: I would if I could pick one. Let's get (laughs) you want you want an obscure joke. Here's an obscure joke. Okay, did you know there's there's a new uh, there's a brand new social media platform for Shriners? Really? Yeah, it's called Fezbook. There you go.
1: Aww.
0: How many? How many people are actually going to get that? See, it's funny. There you go. It's funny to you because we live in L.A. We know the whole Shriner thing. Is there? Is there even such a thing as a Shriner outside of L.A.? There it's must be, an, right? I don't. I don't know. I can't imagine they're like Minnesota Shriners,
1: huh? I guess that's true. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, okay, you know, okay, okay, folks. Just go ahead and ignore the last 90 yeah, seconds of the show because sure. we don't know what's so,
0: going on. So really quickly, before we get into the DVDs, I just want to say I think there are two, uh, uh, two motion picture entertainment corporate entities out there that are really rolling the dice. And it doesn't seem like they're rolling the dice. I think they feel like this makes a lot of sense. But I'm, I'm going to say this right out. I think Warner Brothers – is uh, really investing a lot into the whole new DC cinematic universe thing, thinking that they are going to strike gold just like Marvel, that suddenly everyone's going to migrate from the Avengers, which seems to kind of be on a downturn now, and that their excitement for Justice League is going to be on the upturn, and we're going to be having, oh my gosh, we're going to be having you know, Shazam and... And Wonder Woman and Aquaman and we're going to go crazy and then it's going to be Superman versus Shazam and then it's going to be, you know, green we're going to relaunch the, uh, the the Green Lantern and then we're going to have, uh, you know, Arrow's going to migrate to the movies and Flash. Mi- I think they have invested an awful lot that I don't think is necessarily going to pan out. It might, but I mean for – they are really rolling the dice here.
1: You know, I, I agree for two reasons. One is it seems reactionary. It seems it's like really a reaction to Marvel's success. Totally. And also, there's a difference in tone, as everybody knows, between the Marvel films and the DC films. I think that the yeah. DC films, I agree. if they're all going to be brooding, self-serious, dark movies, which work for the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. I think if, if Shazam and Wonder Woman, all, I think if they're all going to be like that, I think the fans will get tired of that.
0: I, you're absolutely going to get tired of it. I mean, Which is weird, because in the comics, it, it, it was the reverse, right? DC was always the... The light and fluffy and Marvel were always the brooding, angst-ridden, self-absorbed heroes. It's just for somehow they've done a flip in the movies. I don't know. It's weird.
1: Well, because they, 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 they saw the success of The Dark Knight. Yeah. Let's do more of that Combine, combined with the success of the Marvel films, which were more colorful yes. and bright and poppy. And so We don't want to do that. No. We already have an aesthetic that works based on the Batman films. Let's just keep going with that.
0: We have a Vox box today as well.
1: You just interrupted me. You had no idea what I said. I know
0: what you said. We just have to move ahead. We have a Vox box. The other, the other thing uh, that I was going to say is uh, the other d- gamble is this Disney Star Wars Land thing, which they're going d- to—14 acres in in Anaheim, attached to Disney World and or to Disneyland, and then to Disney World in Orlando. They're going to throw up a 14-acre Star Wars theme park. Are you kidding me?
1: You know, my issue there is that uh, I, I look. It's a little bit like the Harry Potter world or the Jurassic Park thing, where the only reason why the movies exist is to con- is to perpetuate yeah. visits to the theme park, so people will want to ride the rides.
0: They, they they have they have scheduled Star Wars episodes seven eight and nine, what three spinoffs now? Aren't there like three spinoffs announced? There's the, yeah, know, there's
1: Rogue One. Rogue One. Colin Trevorrow was just named as the director Not for of nine. Uh, Star Wars Nine.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the, three spinoffs um, and then a theme park. What if? What if like, you know? It probably won't. It looks good. They got all the right people involved. But what if JJ's film tanks? What if everyone goes okay, in the opening weekend? What if it makes? What if it makes three hundred million dollars opening weekend? Everyone hates it. Word gets out and it drops 97% in the next weekend and no one goes.
1: I, I, you know what? This, <laughs> what, look, what if that you, look, happens? The, you know, you, if, if that happens, Donald Trump will become president because that's not going to happen. Okay. You know that JJ's film would have to be the. JD's film would have to be um, Phantom Menace.
0: If Donald Trump became president, would he wear that pink tie? Do you think to his inauguration? He will he just, wear the pink tie?
1: You know what he with prob- the with
0: the with the eighties collar on the shirt, the like the white collar on the blue on the powder blue shirt and the, how, the pink how tie. How many
1: racial epithets with with, will
0: uh, with 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 tie bars holding up the collar? How many Remember racial those? epithets will I he used to wear those. Will,
1: will, will, will he sling at his uh, in, in, at his inauguration speech? What? My Do fellow Americans.
0: Well, I, I don't and know. He just <laughs>
1: goes nuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, our jaws will drop and go, "Oh my God, we just voted four years <laughs> of this guy."
0: You realize there are people. Who will vote specifically to make that happen?
1: Well, be careful what you wish for yeah. anyway <laughs> look I, it, here's the thing too is that so far it's I'm of two minds because I feel like Disney is really making up for lost time regarding Star Wars, like yeah. they are just star wars they are star warsing the hell out of everything out of everything they got on the other hand, I can't say that they're. Picking bad directors? No. I'm just a little nervous that it's good talent, and you're getting talent who are very excited to do a Star Wars film because you're still talking about a generation whose love of movies and sci-fi were activated by Star Wars. Yes. Right? So they're thrilled mm-hmm. and honored to do a Star Wars film. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. But there's, there's a certain mercenary quality that is starting to emerge in terms of Disney's treatment of the Star Wars property. Indeed. So the, the verdict is out.
0: Yes, it well, us we out
1: and, and, and but everything will be set, the foundation the, will be set by JJ's film. If JJ's film is good, Star Wars will live on for the history of the, of the world. If JJ's film is not good, which I, I, I'm sure it'll be fine.
0: It, well, we don't know anything precisely about the, the story yet. All we know is that Adam Driver is the bad guy, which I'm not an Adam Driver fan. You know, I, I'll, I'll be honest, he, he's, he's one of those kind of those horse-faced actors, no <laughs> offense, everybody knows what I'm talking about, but he looks like he could be part of the British royal family and, he, you know, it, honestly, let's face it, if, if Prince Charles were not Prince Charles, would anybody cast him in a movie? Would Would you take a photograph of that face? Look. Would you? Here's the thing, Adam Driver. He's a good actor, but I, you know, it's just like there's nothing. That I look at that face, and it's it's not menacing to me. He's not a menacing figure. Really? I don't know.
1: I think he can go there.
0: You think so? Yes. I don't. I don't see. And it. By the way, it's going to be good. You I know don't why?
1: See it. You know why it's going to be good?
0: Hmm.
1: Harrison Ford never makes a bad film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Here's the other do thing. Do you think there'll be a
1: GPS dog collar in uh, Here's uh, Star Wars?
0: A, yeah, I do think so. I do think so. There will be Absolutely. a GPS Absolutely. dog, dog collar. A, well, it'll be a GPS uh, tauntaun. Uh, Caller, Here, here's the uh, here's the other thing too. The reason that Darth Vader became such a f- legendary thing is because Darth Vader is is a is a combination of things. It's a combination of uh, David Prowse's body and body language and stature and James Earl Jones's voice. Th- th- that well, we don't know. We
1: we haven't seen the character. We haven't. We we don't know what he's like. Who knows? I mean, I, right at this point, speculation about whether the whether Darth Vader will be badass enough, or whoever I the new know. Darth Vader is, it's too early. It's too early. The only thing is that the only thing I will say is that because we live in such a social media internet world, there's much less mystery now. Like yes. Darth Vader, the reason why Darth Vader worked in 1977 mm-hmm. was because y- all you knew of Darth Vader was the two hours of Star Wars. You didn't go online, very true, and see pictures of him. You know, out of his costume, behind the scenes. You didn't go online and look at comment boards where everyone's saying how Darth Vader blows. All that sort of stuff you didn't get. True. You know, there was a lot of mystery back then because you were only given a certain amount of information. Now it's on entertainmentweekly.com and people have, uh, you know, behind the scenes set visits where they post illegal photos no, and people talk no about it everywhere. Anymore. There's less mystery. Yeah.
0: All right, well, we're, we're going to get into DVDs and Blu-rays now. Uh, we got a fantastic release this week. Uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios short films collection. This is a must-have. If you have any of the Pixar short collections, uh, you, you, you just know that they, they do these things up absolutely right. This is a great collection of recent short films uh, that are not necessarily the Pixar shorts, but they're from the main Disney animation studios. And it's really great stuff. Uh, Frozen Fever. Feast, get a horse. Paperman, Paperman won an Oscar. Did you see Paperman? Paperman, Paperman was amazing, amazing. You made was, that up. No, Paperman won an Oscar. There's a few no Paperman. There's Paperman. Never Man. heard it's of it. Amazing. Never you heard should of Paperman. Have I never heard of that? Uh, you probably because you, you don't watch the shorts at Oscars. Oh, this no, you write it out. Yeah. See, yes. <laughs> that's why you. That's why you always lose the Oscar pool. Uh, really is
1: true, actually, because the, 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 the shorts, is that's what separates the men from the boys. It does. In terms of Oscar but Pools. But you know, in
0: recent years, uh, there were a few years I mean, because I've, I've watched all the shorts and the uh, the docs pretty much every year for like the last decade, and for a while there, you were able to sort of get out in front of it and go, that's the winner, that's not, that is, that Who's go for the Holocaust one. Honestly, lately, they've just been all over the map. There's been no way to tell, especially the live-action shorts. They keep picking just horrible ones. I don't really understand it. Uh, Tangled Ever After, The Ballad of Nessie, uh, prep and landing. You know, if anybody likes the prep and landing stuff. Uh, oh, prep. I
1: love the prep and prep landing. Prep and landing. Stuff.
0: The, oh, come on, you know, Tre- prep and landing. They're the two uh, little Santa elves.
1: You don't know prep and landing either.
0: Uh, Operation Secret Santa is the prep and landing short TikTok tale. How to hook up your home theater. The little match girl, Lorenzo, and John Henry. Uh, it's a it's a great bunch of shorts. They're all fun. They're just terrific. Uh, you, you know, they're all over the map in terms of style. Uh, everything from a retro to cool CG and to, you know, stuff that's somewhere in between. It's really great. So, uh, and you also get a, a bonus extra where you look inside the, uh, the process of actually putting together a short. So it's, uh, it's great. That's the uh, Walt Disney Short Films Collection. From the Walt Disney Animation Studios, it is a Blu-ray, DVD, and digital HD combo. Of course, the digital HD is not ultraviolet because Disney's not on board with that. So it is part of the Disney Movies Anywhere implementation, which I frankly think is better than ultraviolet. And I'm hoping that everybody will sort of migrate to the Disney system eventually and uh, maybe merge them so that nobody is having to choose between all of their digital HD uh, implementations. But anyway... Uh, and Frozen Fever, by the way, is the first time it's on Blu-ray. So that was not on the uh, the Blu-ray of Frozen, but you get Frozen Fever on here. All right, Mark, we're gonna get into docs. We are. Yes, we are. Okay. So let's let's do the doc thing.
1: W- would you like are you starting you know or what, am I starting? I'll start because did you finally Wait, watch this? Show this show is a train wreck. my starting things, are you starting things? I'll start. We don't know what's going on. I'll start. On. By you, the way, did, I have a piece of cake for you later.
0: Did you finally get around to watching this? I did. Good. Thank goodness. <laughs> I am Chris Farley. You are. Uh, no, the documentary is I Am Chris Farley. You it are? is. It is on Blu ray. I think this is great.
1: Did yeah, you like it? It's fine. Uh, yes. I mean, it's, you know what? There's, it seems like a very standard documentary. There are sound bites, there's some clips. Talking heads. Talking heads. I, I can't say that They're was amazing story. insight.
0: You know what I was. No amazing insight? The fact that Chris th- Farley was is like, the, was this really religious guy who like.
1: I like that you know, part. That
0: part was amazing. But you know
1: what though? I, I, I feel like they. Th- it seemed like they threw that in there as
0: like, like a curveball his, well, because his childhood buddy's a priest and he's like and you know that yeah, whole don't
1: give it away. Well, but, but his know. real name is.
0: But his his whole his whole sort of approach to the you know the kids hospital. I was crying at a certain point. I mean, what You're a big hearted guy. You know. Uh, you know,
1: I thought there was. Well, Here is what I was guy. missing.
0: He had a heart bigger than his body. That's so
1: beautiful. I was missing that moment it. where, like, how did he become so? Self-destructive and manic. What was it like? I feel like there was there was that little bit of explaining of how he became because he was. He wasn't just insecure. He was Im- immensely insecure. He wasn't just a, uh, He wasn't just an addict. He was an immense. Everything he did was immense.
0: What they what they really point out well is that those that talk show bit where the, like the like the uh, where he's the talk show guy where he does the uh, the bit with Paul McCartney. You remember that time? That was awesome. That that is actually who he was. That 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 really big hearted, lovable, insecure kind of. Uh, dopey guy that that that's that's the true him and i thought that was beautiful i love that skit that's that the is paul so, mccartney so <laughs> that's the funny. best It's so funny look
1: i i i didn't like it i i felt it was, it was completely absolutely fine
0: mike myers is literally crying and laughing when he's telling that shower story That's good stuff.
1: Uh, What's funny is that David David Spade, in a way, has still not gotten over the death. No, you can tell.
0: You can tell. You can tell. It really, uh, it really took the wind out of him uh, emotionally and and psychologically. Anyway, just about everybody is interviewed here. Uh, It's amazing. I mean, you know, uh, Lorne Michaels, obviously Dan Aykroyd and John Lovitz. If you want to talk about people from sort of earlier generations, weigh in with some very, very salient observations about what Saturday Night Live stardom does to a person, because it it. It's an an amazing trajectory that these people who are, you know, one day barely paying the rent in New York, and they're doing sketch comedy, and maybe doing stand-up, and suddenly they're on television performing weekly and busting their chops for millions and millions and millions of people every week, and then suddenly from there, if you do it right, you are launched into the stratosphere, and you are wealthy and famous overnight, but to do a movie is different from doing a live television sketch show, and... A lot of people don't make that transition very well, and presumably Chris Farley didn't make it very well either, even though those movies are funny. Um, emotionally, he never seemed to, to sort of wrap himself around the fame and
1: success. That is true. So yeah. we both liked it, but Wade we liked did. it more than me. I like it a lot. All right, uh, Wade, on. here's the thing. Yeah. I, I talked to uh, Mike Robbin uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Robbin, of course, the producer of Stupid for Movies, which you no know, is never coming back ever. And uh, Mike did a show called... Uh, uh, Take my bitcoins. Yes, all about bitcoins. And I appeared on the show. Oh, I, was I know one of you the did. Special guest. <laughs> you can Google it. YouTube. It, take my bitcoins, Mark Kaiser, and you will see my appearance for one hour on the show. So funny. Part of me being on that show was that I received point one of a bitcoin. Like that was my appearance fee. Which, by the way, I never received. <laughs> I said to him yesterday, I "Go. You realize I have never received my goddamn uh, point one uh, of a bitcoin." That's so funny. So I mention all that because there's a documentary called rise the rise uh, rise. The rise and the rise of bitcoin yeah. which is funny because when i talked to mike about bitcoins i said yeah mike uh, uh nice show how bitcoin how's how how are bitcoins doing uh they're in, in in the tank no one cares about bitcoin well,
0: you know what I, there was another bitcoin documentary that i reviewed for for uh, film week uh last year i guess it was and um the, the whole concept I, I do think it is somewhat inevitable that something like Bitcoin uh, eventually becomes the the global currency, whether or not it's the currency that you use to buy your groceries, or whether or not it's a currency that exists kind of under the hood for international currency traders to sort of have some kind of a common, um, a common, you know. Uh, Tr- something to transition everything into and then out of. What, wh- in whatever form it happens, something like this will eventually become a standardization. But nobody really understands it. That's the problem. Nobody really knows what a Bitcoin is, and, they can- and when you explain it to them, the, the confusion becomes even worse.
1: And it's funny because on the, on the back of the DVD box, they called cryptocurrency. Yeah. Crypto sounds a lot like cryptic. Yes, it does. And that's exactly what Bitcoins what are. So I don't. Uh, you know, look. I- is this interesting? It's, it's going to wind up being a little blip in history. Yeah. Like this thing is going to want to, this documentary will be seen not as... As a chronicle of the beginning of a new global currency, yeah. it'll be seen as like this little documentary about this thing that happened in 2013 and, some 14, of the scandals, and Bitcoins. And
0: some of these scandalous things involved, you know, the, 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 like, that nobody really knows where they're housed and they get hacked and they lose them. And, you know, I mean, th- there have been a lot of scandals, but it's really not on anybody's radar. I
1: I just think this documentary, while fine, is just, it's on the raw, it's, it, it seems old news now because Bitcoins are not really taking off like yeah. they thought they would. Uh, much better, though, is a documentary called Lambert and Stamp. Now, Lambert and Stamp, these guys were the managers of The Who. This is um, Kit Lambert and Chris Stamp. Maybe you've heard of Kit Lambert. Um, they wound up uh, managing The Who. And what's great about this um, documentary, Lambert and Stamp, is that it's – yes, it's a music documentary, but it's it's an interesting showbiz story about the uh, 60s and early 70s in rock and roll – and how you know these guys? They had this high wire act of a band in their early years, and how they wound up getting them where they needed to to be in order to become one of the iconic bands of all time. Um, you know, I thought it was great. I thought it's an interesting, it's interesting stuff. It does have great music, but it has great behind the scenes video. Much of this, I guarantee, you've never seen before. Uh, there's a commentary with the director, um, and also with uh, Henry Rollins, who of course is uh, you know. Uh, uh, almost an historian of rock and roll, and does a great uh, weekly uh, column for the LA Weekly here in Los Angeles. Um, so, yeah, Lampert and Stamp is just a t- really terrific, mostly black and white documentary about uh, these two guys who helped change rock and roll by plucking this crazy little group of guys out of nowhere in the UK and turning them into the Who. And, uh, yeah, good stuff. Lampert and Stamp.
0: Fabulous. And then we've got uh, – I'm going to blow through just a bunch of PBS stuff here because it's, uh, it's, it's golden time for PBS with documentaries, and they have a lot of great releases uh, last few weeks. Uh, Life on the Reef is uh, one of their occasional Blu-rays, and this is just un- spectacular photography of the Great Barrier Reef. Which of course, is is in many respects endangered, so uh, you definitely want to get this because it could look like a sandbar tomorrow. But um, it's just absolutely beautiful. and it's a good dock, too. I mean, it's a courtesy of Screen Queensland, so it's uh, it is an Australian production and they they know their backyard better than anybody else. Uh, Life on the reef, the blue frontier where a man meets wild. It's just it's just the underwater photography. I never get sick of underwater photography. It's just fantastic. Uh, ancient roads from Christ to Constantine. Is uh, is a great archaeological tour. One of those uh, kind of British deals, where a scholar in this cl- in this case uh, Jonathan Phillips, who is a, a historian of the era, basically takes you to all of these historical sites and recounts what presum- presumably happened there, what did happen there, what was alleged to have happened there. And uh, why it matters, and uh, it's great. Six different episodes, uh, fantastic. It's it's essentially a, a an archaeological history of Christianity through these specific sites over the first few uh, few hundred years of um, of Christian uh, history. It's really really interesting and uh, and pretty great. And moving on through the rest of these, uh, the road to fame is uh, an interesting look at the at a production uh, a, a collaboration between the the, uh, the government of China and Broadway where the uh, senior class of the Central Academy of Drama in Beijing puts on a production of the musical Fame. Um, it, it, it's a, it's, a, it's interesting, it's a little odd. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a Peking opera fan myself. I kind of prefer traditional performance when, you know, seeing Broadway productions done overseas is a little bit odd. I've seen Shakespeare in French. That's a little odd too. I've seen Moliere in English. That's also a little odd. So I respect the cross cultural pol- uh, pollination, but you know, it's okay. Um, three really interesting front lines, all of them very, very, very uh, relevant still. Frontline, I don't know how these, these guys must work. 28 hours a day with teams of editors. I don't know how they throw this stuff together. It's I a really huge don't.
1: operation there. It's unbelievable. Uh, all these producers, so many editors.
0: But at, at a certain point, a single vision has to take hold. I just don't know how they, they, they work. Frontline is just – it's phenomenal it's what they do. It's a
1: corporate tree of approvals.
0: Yeah, it? I guess. So anyway, uh, Obama at war, Syria, Iraq, and the struggle against ISIS – Well, Uh, let me
1: tell you something. Once Donald Trump gets in there, there ISIS will be gone in nine months. (laughs) Gone.
0: Secrets, politics, and torture. Uh, The secret history of the CIA's controversial interrogation program. And uh, on on a slightly more upbeat note, the trouble with chicken. Inside a major salmonella outbreak and a broken food safety system, which you know, after all this war and ISIS and and everything and spying and, and torture, I'll tell you, salmonella uh, and chicken is is really uh, pretty upbeat. Salmonio? Yes. Uh, so anyway, this stuff, all of, all three of these are just really, really first rate. Uh, you know, they they don't take sides. They just drill down. They give you the, the, the raw facts, and it's all very, very timely. Still very, very timely. Uh, n- from the Nova uh, series, The Great Math Mystery, um, y- you have to kind of be a little bit of a math nerd to really appreciate this because gl- my eyes glazed over and I suddenly had flashbacks of you know Thursdays in elementary school when I would be sick every Thursday because I didn't want to have to do math. My mother eventually figured that out. So the idea here is is uh, trying to approach what math really is 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 it something that we invented to try to understand the universe or does the universe actually operate on mathematic principles which is an interesting question
1: it's true it's a, it's a little bit like time yeah like how is come it? time is time that's it the earth it's revolves around the sun and that's a year, and but
0: if a tree if a tree falls in the forest, no one's around to hear it. Does it make a sound?
1: That's the dumbest. You know what? Can I say something? <laughs> That's just, of, look, of course it makes a sound. Just are 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 people so egocentric that that if they don't hear something, it doesn't happen. That's correct. You realize that I did not. I, I did not. When I am not
0: actually making podcasts with you, you don't exist. You are silent. You are a non-entity.
1: It's you true. realize that all the things that would not happen if we didn't see it or hear it? I know. 99.9% of all the things in the universe true. that ever happened would not happen because we didn't see it or hear
0: Probably it. Probably true. Uh, also from Nova – Don't Let- get me
1: started, Wade.
0: I know. Also from Nova, Lethal Seas, uh, which is uh, – you never want to go in the water again. Forget about sharks. This is uh, unbelievable. The The – it, 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 the, everything that is going on in the oceans right now—not just the things that live in it, but the acidity of the ocean, uh, the, the the way that the chemical balance of the ocean is changing—it's just—it's it's horrifying. And uh, this is, you know, forget about climate change. This will just make you think uh, the you know the oceans are going to be the the death of us eventually. Uh, from nature, a little bit more encouraging is the sagebrush sea, which is not. The same as Lethal Seas, this is um, essentially America's forgotten habitat. And it's about this amazing uh, ecosystem of sagebrush that goes across 11 states in the United States. And it's just, it's just a sprawling thing. You don't think of it as an ecosystem, but it, it is. And it's about the, uh, the, and everything that goes on in that ecosystem and why it is so important and, uh, and how it all works together. It's beautiful. And then, lastly, uh, the home front, which is uh, uh, basically portraits of uh, American military families, very, very touching, very nicely done. And uh, Operation Wild, which is all about uh, uh, physicians and uh, primarily uh, um, uh, animal doctors, veterinarians. Thank you. I, m- <laughs> I knew there was a word for them. Uh, no, basically, how the uh, how we're using our medicine, in other words, discoveries for humans how it's transitioning over to being able to help animals as opposed to the other way around, which is usually the way it is. You research on an animal to figure out how to help a person. In this case, we're finding cures for human diseases and illnesses and ailments that um, those people, what are they called again? Veterinarians? That they're using on animals. <laughs> interesting, right?
1: Nice. Uh, it is Interesting. All right, uh,
0: all right. new movies. What do we got coming out, new movies?
1: Interesting. Uh, we have an interesting movie here, uh, Wade, called uh, 5 to 7. No, not the uh, uh, French New Wave classic Cleo from, ni- uh, from uh, 5 to 7. This is a new 5 to 7. Did I say 9 to 7 earlier? This is with uh, – 9 an- to 5, Dolly Parton? Oh, working 9 Sweet.
0: to 5. Yeah.
1: Anyway, this is uh, 5 to 7 with an interesting uh, uh, cast. This stars Anton Yelchin and uh, Bernice Merlot.
0: Yeah, Marlowe, Marlowe, Marlo. Bernice Marlowe.
1: Bernice Marlowe. Yeah, well,
0: good for her. I don't know who she is, but...
1: But she's terrific in this. This has got a great cast. Um, now, wait, I didn't realize this before this movie uh, mm-hmm. existed, but in France, there's a the thing called, like, Five to Seven Affairs. Yes. Where men, I guess women do, too, mm-hmm. they have affairs between the hours of 5 and 7 because that's like kind of after work but before the guy would get home. Right. So it's like, you know, it's
0: – There's also a, a statute under French law that says if you, uh, within that time period it doesn't actually count as infidelity. That's not it's true. It's actually a French law. That's not true. It goes all the way back to uh, to Julius Caesar or something. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, Julius Caesar, one of my favorite French authors. He's Absolutely. He was fantastic. Yeah, he Anyway, um, Anton Yelchin is a guy who uh, falls in love with this uh, woman, uh, Berenice uh, Marlowe. And uh, they have a five to seven affair. And uh, what, well, what's interesting about this movie is that it hits a lot of emotional beats, uh, mostly thanks to writer-director Victor Levin. A lot of films are um, a little hesitant to hit in our cynical times. This thing is very sentimental, almost courageously so. It is, uh, you know, it's, it wears its heart on its sleeve, doesn't hold back its emotions, and I really appreciated that. It's got a great cast, including uh, Franklin Jella and Glenn Close, Olivia Thurlby. Olivia Thurlby, she started out uh, like a young girl, you know. When she started yep. out her career, now mm-hmm. she's kind of uh, moderately delicious.
0: Well, I'm glad. You, I'm glad you've gone there. Thank you. <laughs>
1: putting out there. Anyway, um, this is a good movie. It's an interesting movie. It's a movie, definitely a good date movie if you've got like uh, you know a rather uh, sensitive, emotional girlfriend. You want to impress them with your knowledge. And yet it does star the guy from uh, Star Trek. That's good. You know, Anton Yelchin. And it stars one of the Bond girls from Skyfall. So it's definitely some, uh, you know, pop culture relevancy there. But ultimately this is a very emotional, sentimental, almost courageously sentimental story that uh, I thought was terrific. Five to seven, Anton Yelchin. On the other end of the quality scale is skin trade with Dolph Lundgren and Tony Jaa. Now the only reason why (laughs) Why? I want to see Tony Jaa.
0: Why is Tony Jaa making Dolph Lundgren movies? That's what I want to know.
1: See, I don't want to see Tony Jaa holding a gun. And no, l- like he you want to see Tony Jaa kicking and, and, and flying through like car windows. Yes, but it does have this movie does have Ron, Ron Perlman, and we love Ron Perlman because he'll do anything, and it has Steve Weller in it. So anyway, uh, this is a, it's a Dolph Lundgren film. By the way, you know Dolph Lundgren is starring in Kindergarten Cop 2.
0: Ah, uh, heaven help us! Exactly, not good.
1: Anyway, it has to deal with human trafficking and an FBI agent played by Michael J. White, and it's uh, really this is there's so many other films, action films you can be watching. Just rewatch the raid. Yeah.
2: Actually actually,
1: re- rewatch the raid instead of watching that or Vendetta, with Dean Cain, and a, some wrestler, some guy called the Big Show. <laughs> he's, he's now a I'm not wrestler. sure if that's his given name. He's a wrestler. Or uh, I don't think that's his given name. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. Um. And by the way, Dean Kane, you know, he's getting older. His face is getting rounder. Mm-hmm. He's not badass, not interested. He nope. plays a detective who's, uh, he wants revenge on this bad guy who murdered his wife. It's just ridiculous. It's all just bad stuff. Although, what's interesting is that I was directed by two women, their sisters, mm-hmm. uh, Jen and Sylvia Saska. And all I can say is that they can definitely put a movie together. I mean, you know, it, it, it's. The issues here are not where they put the camera. The issue is with the horrible script and the just the whole B-movie feel of the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, look, it's nice to see two women... Directing an action film. Certainly uh, nothing wrong with that.
0: All right. And uh, I, you know what? I'm gonna, this thing got some really strangely mixed reviews. I loved the trailer when it originally came out. We're talking about Fox Searchlight's release of Far From the Madding Crowd. You
1: know, look, when you saw that trailer, you said to me, you've got to watch this trailer. It made so me cry. Good. It's going to be so amazing.
0: I really thought this was great. Uh, and I got to say, I think it compares very, very well with the original John Schlesinger film from 1967, which is considerably longer uh, and I think they realize that this only this comes in just under two hours. The Schlesinger film is, you know, very close to three hours, so there's a lot more story. There's a lot more Thomas Hardy. There's a lot more of all of that really dense uh, plotting and dramatization that Hardy's novels are so filled with. This feels a little bit threadbare uh, relative to the novel, but it, it's beautifully done. Now, the the uh, the original Schlesinger film, of course, had Julie Christie, Peter Finch, Terrence Stamp, uh, Alan Bates, an unbelievable cast. And uh this one is not that level cast. Carrie Mulligan certainly up there, Matthias Schonertz, who we talked about last week, he's like the new go to, you know He's hot, cool hot dude in movies. But, you know, Michael Sheen, Tom Sturridge, it's not a shabby cast at all. Not quite on that, you know, freaking Alan Bates, Peter Finch, Julie Christie. I mean, that's a that's a big deal. Uh Terrence Stamp, man. But uh still, it compares very well, and I would say, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't recommend one of them over the other. I would say if you love the novel, you want to watch them both. Why not? Uh, This also comes with an extended ending, and tons of bonus content, uh, including deleted scenes, and um, you know, process, the adaptation, all the usual uh, featurette stuff. So, uh, and also Ultraviolet. So, it's a beautiful Blu-ray, wonderfully photographed, uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic production all around. I don't know if this thing will necessarily... um, Get uh, any love come Oscar time? It feels like it was released. Nah,
1: it kind of it disappeared.
0: It it was released too early, definitely too and early. And plus, nobody
1: season. really talked about it. No, it didn't strike any emotional chords. It wasn't like.
0: However, yes. Thomas Vinterberg has a following.
1: He's the man. People
0: love Thomas. Vinterberg I do. I love. Director. I love him. Yep. I feel like he still has his.
1: He has his Oscar-winning masterpiece in yeah, him. Yeah, he's got it in him. I think he's got to go like back to like you know his home country and make some crazy. Movie that wins for best foreign I, you know, film, or something.
0: I, 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 he has something in him, anyway. Oh, I, he's great. And then also, as long as we're talking about great actresses, uh, Stranger Land with uh, Nicole Kidman, Joseph Fiennes, Hugo Weaving. Uh, this is interesting. Nicole Kidman went back to uh, Australia to make an Australian film again, which she hasn't done in quite some time for uh, director Kim Ferrant, who is, uh, this is essentially her first feature film. She's done some interesting shorts prior to this. Uh, and Strangerland, the, the one thing I'll say about this, it's really ambitious, not entirely successful. Joseph Fiennes was not the original choice for this. Uh, Guy Pearce was the original choice, and he dropped out, and then they went with Joseph Fiennes. And you can't sort of – if you know that, it's very hard to watch this without thinking, boy, Guy Pearce would have been so much better. And I love Joseph Fiennes, but he he just feels like an afterthought, uh, which is too bad. It's not quite right for him. But that said, uh, the idea here is that, and and it, why is it all? There's so many Australian films like this where where someone. Wanders off and just disappears, or someone's child disappears. Whether it's a you know picnic at Hanging Rock or a cry in the dark, there's a whole subgenre of movies where people who live on the you know the the coasts of Australia they wander into that just black hole vortex of the of the outback that constitutes the middle of the country. You ever look on satellite? Ma- like walkabout, like walkabout, walkabout, similar kind of a thing. But you 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 ever notice like. When you look at maps or or, or nighttime satellite photography where you see the bright parts of the earth where all the energy is being sucked up, and Australia has these really bright spots, right, where, where the cities are, you know, Melbourne and Perth and Sydney, and then just the center of that continent is just black. There's nothing there. And, and it's, it, that seems to be the fear that if you, just, if you leave the outskirts of the coast and you wander into the middle of the continent, you just, you, you'll yeah, vanish. D-
1: dingoes will eat your baby.
0: Exactly. So this is one of those. There's basically a, this. They play a couple, Nicole Kidman and Joseph Fiennes. They have a couple of kids, older daughter who is really rebellious, and a younger son. And the kids vanish in a dust storm. And it becomes this whole thing, and then Hugo Weaving is the is the investigator who's got to put it together. It's a small town, and and uh, this reminded me a lot of uh, of Ray Lawrence movies. Mark, you you have no idea who Ray Lawrence is, do you? That's Mr. And Mrs. Lawrence. You're illiterate. Uh, Ray Lawrence is an Australian. You director. call me illiterate? I have yeah.
1: cake for you. I have cake for you. You are you just so me smart.
0: Illiterate. You are smarter than Donald Trump. I'm <laughs> uh, oh, don't insult. Me. <laughs> anyway. So the, so the movie is Stranger Land. It feels a little bit like a Ray Lawrence movie. Ray Lawrence is, is a is a guy who basically has made like three movies in his whole career, including the amazing Lantana and Jindabine. He's no Lantana was cool. Lantana's amazing. Ray Lawrence's deal is that he makes these movies about really kind of brooding, angst-ridden people, and he only does one take ever for any scene. You know, he'll just like tell the actors, This is it. We're now, this is do it, okay, we're done, not gonna do it again. I mean it's which is really amazing that's and kind impossible. of daunting. That's what he does. If I,
1: what, what happens if, if an actor forgets his dialogue?
0: You, you, then you, that's it, done. <laughs> it just, seriously, they tell, they'll tell you it's like opening night on Broadway the, for his films. You feel this immense pressure and exhilaration to do it right the first time because you know he's not going to give you a second take. Uh. But his movies are amazing. This seems to want to go into that same place because you get the same small town feel where everybody knows each other. It's a little bit like Jindabyne, the way that things start to unravel in this town um, and all the deep, dark secrets come out. But, uh, you know what, in all due respect to her, uh, Kim Front is not, uh, she's not Ray Lawrence, so yet at least. So it's a respectable film, deeply flawed, but interesting. Uh, and the more I think about it, the more I, I'm forgiving of it. And then, um, interesting little Patrick Stewart sidebar here is Match which is written and directed by Stephen Belber um, Patrick Stewart's doing a lot of you know interesting little small throwaway movies now that he's made such a ridiculous amount of money from Star Trek and X-Men he, doesn't, he can afford to do what he wants. Uh, this is an IFC release and uh, he, basically the uh, Tony Belb- Stephen Belber who directed this uh, wrote the play. It's originally a Tony Award nominated play and Patrick Stewart uh, plays this crazy New York ballet instructor who um, kind of his, his whole world is just completely turned upside down when this Seattle couple shows up uh, to interview him about his past. And uh, it feels very much like a play. I kind of uh, – I'm still very out on Matthew Lillard. He and uh, Carla Gagina play the, the couple. I love her. Lillard. He kind of won me over a little bit in the descendants, but he's still I
1: feel like he's still goofy there's something I can't take he's seriously shaggy. about him I he's know shaggy. he's shaggy you know? it's the role he was born to play and be remembered for
0: so if you like the play, you like the movie
1: oh I love the play who who, who didn't see that play exactly pretty much everybody yeah true story is a based on a true story it stars uh, Jonah Hill and James Franco it's an interesting uh true story Jonah Hill plays a uh, plays The New York Times reporter maybe you've uh, heard of him uh, Michael Finkel he was fired from the New York Times for embellishing stories Um, and so he's trying to uh, revitalize his career when he winds up running into this convicted murderer played by James Franco and this murderer was trying to elude authorities by using his name so this murderer is trying to elude authorities by using the name of a disgraced New York Times reporter That's that's a a pretty good idea. So, (laughs) Is it really?
0: I think I'm going to do that. So
1: this reporter, played by Jonah Hill, he smells a juicy feature that only he is qualified to write because this guy (laughs) is using his name to elude authorities, and they arrange to meet in jail. And so it it starts in this interesting, although maybe not convincing enough, cat and mouse thing where the killer will tell the truth about the events only to the disgraced New York Times writer if he delays the publication till after his trial is over, if uh, if Jonah Hill gives James Franco writing lessons, of all things. So it's an interesting little cat-and-mouse game. I have to say that I wish it was a little uh, more sophisticated in its construction and storytelling. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the movie was, is really all that convincing mm. um and i have to say i don't know that i buy jonah hill as somebody that serious it is not to me jonah hill does not have a lot of shading or complexity it's, he seems a bit and i hate to say this I, I used to know him and work with him um this is over it's about 10 years ago um he's to me he's just a funny man i'm sorry i just he's don't a, s-
0: you're talking about a double oscar nominee now i know, you know
1: <laughs> i know i don't know why it's just I mean do, do you find there's a lot of depth there? He's the a new lot of shading?
0: He's the new Joe Pesci. He is. He's the new Joe Pesci. At least that's how he's but being. But
1: there used. was a danger in in Joe Pesci. You felt like a lot of uh, there was a it, with Joe Pesci You, you don't felt think like that
0: there was a danger with his prosthetic penis in uh in this Scorsese film? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so uh you know it, it it it's a nice try. It's a great story. Um, Felicity Jones is in this, too, and Wade's favorite Felicity Jones. Mm-hmm. Also a good bunch of special features in here, including an alternate ending, some deleted scenes, um, a feature at about the, the actual killer, the guy Christian Longo. So you know, all I can say is it was a nice try. Everyone tried. It's an interesting story. I don't know that it's quite convincing enough, but uh, it's worth a rental.
0: So, uh, Peter Bogdanovich has a new film coming out.
1: Yeah, it's not... I haven't seen it. I was going to see it, got invited, then I heard it's not great. Awesome. It's awesome. Is it awesome? It's awesome.
0: <laughs> it is. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, not quite so awesome, but still respectable, is uh, a movie written and directed by, or co-written and directed by, his daughter, Antonia, uh, which is Phantom Halo, which is out now from uh, Ark Entertainment. And, uh, you know, to to her credit, she's not... Heavily trafficking on her famous family, she obviously she's not going to change her name. But uh,
1: uh, this is actually a
0: pretty decent little kind of um, sort of semi pseudo crime noir, uh, and uh, it deals with uh, you know a couple of brothers uh, who are sort of trying who, who've got this just ragingly horrible dad. He's an alcoholic and he can't hold down a job, and uh, you know he's, he's he's addicted to gambling anyway. It's um, it's a it's a tough little kind of um, what was the, what was the Barry Levinson uh, thing, uh, the the gambling movie, Star Wars, no, the Barry Levinson uh, gambling thing. You know what I'm talking about with Edward Norton.
1: Oh yeah. What
0: was that? It's got um, a little. It's It's see. Why am I? Why don't am stop I, the recording. Okay, keep it thing. Anyway, it's got that vibe to it.
1: Hang on, Springers, I'm getting there.
0: stringers, clickers, no. blonkers, <laughs> movers, conkers. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. uh, No,
1: layouts. It's like something, errs, right? Clickers, clackers. Schmuckers,
0: movers, (laughs) dinkers, floated. Well, anyway. You'll get it. You'll find it. Uh, No, I have to to look it up now. I I, I don't remember. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh,
1: uh, uh, sneakers. Now that's the
0: other one with Robert Redford. I like that the, movie. Yeah, that's
1: all right. Bill Alden Robinson. Sleepers. Sure. Sleepers.
0: Thank you. Uh, anyway, so Phantom Halo has kind of a sleepers vibe to it. Uh, I, I always enjoy watching Rebecca Romijn, formerly Rebecca Romijn-Stamos in movies. Ever since she kind of got sidebarred or side, you know, sort of kicked booted out of the X Men cast by Jennifer Lawrence uh she hasn't had much to do. So, uh it's nice to see her show up in things. Um and otherwise it's uh, you know, uh pretty pretty decent, you know, pretty decent little movie. So anyway, Phantom Halo from uh Antonia Bogdanovich, daughter of the great Peter Bogdanovich. Let's see what else she has to do. And then um another movie here that I I just I, I just I, I want to like this so badly. The Seventh Dwarf is an, a German animated film that wants to kind of be a German version of uh, of Shrek it's uh, one of these sort of uh, satirical potpourris of all these fairy tale pieces all lodged together a little bit of Sleeping Beauty a little bit of Snow White it's all kind of you know jammed together and a little wink and a nod and a, you know a cute giant headed dragon and Everything all ties up nicely at the end, and you go, well, that's interesting. I didn't realize all those fairy tales had all those common elements, and you could weave them together that way. And it should be much more charming than it is, but it's not, unfortunately, because it's, it's made by, you know, Germans, and being half German, I can tell you, you know, Germans aren't exactly a light and fluffy people. Uh, so this is not what they should necessarily be doing. However, um, some of the voice casting is good, and they give it the real college try, and this, and, and this was a... a, a, a theatrical release from Shout Factory and we are big fans of Shout Factory so they are finally dipping their toes in the theatrical release realm and uh, in that respect I can't blame them for acquiring this They, uh, they they picked up a film that was I think a good gamble and even though it's not the best thing out there, if you're, if you're trying to launch yourself as a uh, theatrical distributor after being a very successful DVD and Blu-ray distributor, I think, uh, you know, you, you, the, probably this is a good gamble. So uh, they did a good job here, generally speaking, with not the greatest material. But there it is. It is called The Seventh Dwarf. And this is a 3D Blu-ray, Blu-ray, DVD, and digital copy combo set. So you get everything here, including a few little extras, including sing-alongs.
1: A sing along. Sing
0: along. Who doesn't love a sing along? Gotta love a sing along. And um, then also, I've got a thing called She Loves Me Not, which is from Monarch and uh, a, a decent cast in a pretty good drama about a. With Carrie Elwe's basically playing a, uh, a hard drinking novelist trying to hold his life together. And. Um, you see basically his his. You see all of this unfold um, through the eyes of different women in his lives, and uh, it's called "She Loves Me Not." And uh, Carrie Elwes is supported by Joey Lauren Adams, Brian uh, Brianna Evigan, Karen Black, and Lisa Edelstein. So uh, interesting little ambitious film directed by Brian Yun or Brian Jun, who also produced it and co-wrote it. And um, yeah, you know, it's it's. I mean, it's a uh, it's. It feels a little. Feels a little precious, but it's all right.
1: Oh, it also something that's all right is uh, "Wild Horses." Wild Horses is a a film that was written and directed by Robert Duvall, and uh, he is a national treasure. This movie, however, not a national treasure. It's okay. Uh, It stars uh, Duvall. He plays, as usual, he plays the crusty, gruff, Mm -hmm. you know, western dude living Mm -hmm. in Texas turns out there's a, uh, there's a missing persons case that's reopened after you know, a dozen years or so. turns out that uh, the missing person was probably murdered on a ranch belonging to this wealthy family. And that's how the mystery begins. Um, you know, what, what I think he's trying to do here, which I don't think he 100% pulls off, one of John Sayles' last decent films was Lone Star. And that had that multi-generational thing mm-hmm. going on. This is supposed to be kind of a Lone Star thing, like there's a mystery involved, multi generational, takes place in the you know in the West, you no know, not in the West like in Texas, Texas Rangers and whatnot. I just think it's a little bit disjointed, and uh, you know it doesn't always kind of come together. Although I do love Duvall and John and um, James Franco's in it too, along with Josh Hartnett. So you know there's some good stuff here mainly because of the cast, but in terms of you know. This thing coming together as this uh, you know, this, you know, pan generational story of corruption and murder and mystery and whatnot. I just think it doesn't really uh come together. So, uh, what can I say? Wild Horse is not that great. Duvall went on to uh, direct other better films. Uh this one though, I would pass on it.
0: Oh, we have uh, an, a new Abel Ferrara film, and it's amazing to me. Abel Ferrara is still – he's still kind of on the fringes and being provocative. Um, he, You know, I still don't feel like he's ever made his masterpiece. I don't feel like he's made that movie that will just, you know, be his legacy. Everything feels like he's just barely missing the mark, you know. But uh, they're always interesting. He always touches on something that pushes buttons. And Welcome to New York, uh, which might play as an interesting <coughs> twofer along with King of New York. You could uh, say God bless you. Good, uh, gesundheit, Thank you. Gesundheit.
1: Well, that's fine, too. Uh,
0: so Welcome to New York uh, is essentially his version of the Dominic Strauss-Kahn scandal. If everybody remembers when Dominic Strauss-Kahn uh, had that, there was like the whole hooker deal – And um, this is somewhere, I guess, between Bad Lieutenant and uh, King of New York, if you're going to sort of position it there. Anyway, Dominic Strauss-Kahn threatened to sue over this film, and then Abel Ferrara uh, threatened to sue over the edited version of the film when it was released in the United States, when they, they changed his cut of it. And so there were a lot of lawsuits floating around. I don't know the status of any of them, but I find it interesting that Dominic strauss Khan is going to get a much more direct movie treatment because it was just announced in the last few days that Warner Brothers is going to actually make a film about that whole uh, that whole thing. Uh, and it's pretty impressive because the guy who uh, the guy who wrote it it's a it's a spec script by a uh, UCLA uh, master screenwriting graduate. He just graduated, and this was his spec script in school. So good for him, Ben Coppett, for. You know, putting my alma mater back on the map again. Uh, but in any case, the um, the role of Strauss kahn or you know, ostensibly the character who reflects Strauss kahn in here, is De- Gerard Depardieu, who is being as as fat and lascivious and disgusting and imperious and uh, egomaniacal as he possibly can. And uh, it, it you know, it feels very much like all those other. Characters in Abel Ferrara movies who just completely lose control and, and descend into a den of decadence. Um, again, not Abel Ferrara's best film, but certainly a very interesting film and one worth checking out, especially if you are an Abel Ferrara fan. That is on Blu ray, uh, courtesy of Sundance
1: Selects. Uh, wait, here's a bad movie you don't want to watch Love Letter. Mm-hmm. Let, let me tell you something, Wade. Yes. You know, what do you do? What can you do when your best friend? Is of the opposite sex.
0: You could eat a piece of cake.
1: Oh, <gasps>
0: You need cake. to get me cake. Because we're going to have to do a Vox Box here in a second before we wind e- out the show. And I want to eat cake during the Vox Box. No, no not yet.
1: <laughs> anyway, it stars uh, Romeo Miller and uh, Keisha knight Pullum, And uh, she's an advice columnist. Uh, his uh, Her best friend is this guy named Aaron. They've been inseparable. He's, a, he's about to get engaged with a woman he doesn't really love. So she winds up uh, writing an anonymous letter to her own advice column asking for advice. This was a TV movie uh, that, uh, you know, I don't know what to say. It's just It's just a lousy, you know, TV movie. It's just lame. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I didn't watch this whole thing. Come on, people. Seriously, I, this is like combat pay at some point. <laughs> <laughs> watch this stuff. It's got A. Harris and a bunch of other people that I, I couldn't stand.
0: So Lone Scherfig, who is a very, very good Danish director, she was part of the Dogma yes. group at one point, right? She did an education, yeah, which I thought was really going to launch her. I know. Into Where'd that go? Well, it went to the Riot Club, which is kind of a step backwards. um it's fine. I just I feel like I feel like she's just got a better movie in her than than this. Um, this is kind of like the billion It's like a like a billionaire boys club type deal, except it takes place in Oxford. And uh, you know, I just there there there's a better movie in her than telling us how horrible these uh, these upper crust snotty uh, silver spoon entitled you know malignant misogynists live. And I you know I I don't know it it just. It feels like another one of those movies about it, like you know how you know all those um those uh prep school as prison movies where there's some kid who goes to prep school and next thing you know he's being hazed and you know sure. abused and at some point somebody you, you sexually abuses him it's just horrible and you just realize oh my gosh prep schools are just like prison there's at least a dozen of those and some of them are european and some of them are american and they're all sort of the same and this just kind of goes in that direction and I feel there's a a better movie here but anyway she's a very good director, she gets good performances Uh, she knows where to put the camera the film is really well crafted I just wish, you know, it's the female director thing and I hate having to go there but if an education had been directed by a man that man would have gone on to get the call to direct the next like Weinstein, Fox, Searchlight Oscar caliber mega film with like a huge all star cast I just feel like you know, that would have gotten her on that list. For whatever reason, the, the women have to perform doubly hard and work and make films twice as good as the men just to get some of the same meetings. I it agree. Just, it sucks. It really sucks. There are guys out there directing movies who shouldn't be directing movies. Lone Sheriff should be getting those jobs. All right. Now we are going to drop in oh, for wait. what?
1: I was about to sing the song. Well, go
0: ahead. Sing the song. <coughs> <coughs> yes. <coughs> Sing the song. How- If it qualifies as a song.
1: Oh, it's a song. Let me see how long okay. I can do this
0: for. Oh, dear. Here All we on. go. It's going to use up the rest of the show. We won't have time for the Vox Box. Oh, yeah. You'll
1: talk You'll talk about uh, some name-dropping BS. Okay.
2: <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, I wanted to talk about the future of home video, and I think it will be very similar to where music has gone. Digital music has become very much the norm, and vinyl records are very popular among collectors, but collectors only, really. Uh, I believe Wade has said this before, uh, but it would end up being a collector's market, where companies like Criterion and Kino and Cohen would continue to release titles, Uh, but the major studios uh, will more than likely stop releasing physical copies of movies and release movies instead on uh, Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon and other streaming services like that. Uh, But my point is I've also been thinking about the mindset of movie collectors, and uh, one day I was thinking about whether or not Disney would ever release the theatrical version of the Star Wars trilogy on Blu-ray. And the the words, we deserve to have it, uh, actually went through my mind. And I, I realized that collectors may have developed a sort of, uh, this idea of privilege, the idea that uh, if the studio chooses not to release something on home video, then we're being ripped off. Um, yet before the VCR, the only way to see a movie was to hope it played at a local theater. And that was totally fine. So, would you agree that this idea of privilege exists among collectors? Uh, Instead, should we be more focused on celebrating what the studios have given us access to? Do you think I'm just beginning to grieve the death of the home video market? (laughs) Um, But anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, and uh, keep up the amazing work with the show, as always. Uh, And thanks so much. Bye.
0: That was long-time listener Eric Altieri. Eric, thank you for a a really thoughtful question. Um, we could probably do a whole show on that. I, um, I, you know, it's an interesting question. The the studios definitely there are there are a couple of different theories on this. And uh, and Mark, get me my cake. Get me cake. Get me cake, and then you can mm-hmm. respond when you get back with the cake. <laughs> um, th- one is that the studios really don't they they, they don't like having the uh... they don't like having their product out there quite so ubiquitously that they want to start to to sort of claim it back more so that they can uh, exploit it more and that they would start streaming things more and, and not making them avail- make only a handful of things available on packaged media Oscar nominees and things that where they know there's a collector's market for it, and otherwise everything else, they can control access. Um, and then there's the view that the studios really aren't interested in the life of anything, which is why Paramount now um, distributes all of their
1: Well done. how loud was that? How that l- was on a scale of one to 10, how loud was that? I don't know, like three? Really
0: it wasn't bad okay so where where paramount basically now has yielded their whole library over to warner brothers to to distribute and uh'cause not because everything is temporary there's no shelf life for for anything anymore, so the libraries don't mean anything what you are you keep doing? talking you you wha- okay okay, fine hello okay, <laughs> let me see the picture i want i want i want like, i want likeness approval on this it looks well, fine like, uh, Show me
1: the picture. Uh, I took picture. a picture of Wade and the cake yeah. as he's answering Eric's Vox Box. Let me see it. I'll Let put it on the, the Facebook picture. page. Let me
0: see the picture. Let me see the picture. Uh yeah. looks fine.
1: Yeah. You're talking. Okay.
0: All right, that's fine. Um <laughs> anyway, the uh, no, so so I mean I, I I don't the answer is nobody really knows. And I don't think the studios even know. I think they want to wait to see it. But here's my feeling. Pretty much most of the movies that you actually would want in a collection, um they exist already. I, don't, I can't think of many things over the last 15 years that, that are really insanely collectible, maybe 20 or 30 films if you're, if you're like, really hardcore. So there it is.
1: Well, my, my fear is that the death of home video, if it's coming, yeah. packaged home video, really means the death of caring about the history of film.
0: Could be because ultimately. Already, if you talk to film students, they have they anything made pre Fight Club really doesn't mean anything to them. That's right.
1: So if you want to watch lo- anything from Lawrence of Arabia to The Thin Man, where are you going to find that? Where are you going to find that? Yeah. You know, it's not going to be on. You know, maybe you can stream it on Netflix. Once Netflix has, wait, how's the cake?
0: It's good. It's very good. <laughs> it's quite good.
1: Are you surprised?
0: No, you become quite a baker. <laughs> you have.
1: Um. That's my fear. Now, when it comes to privilege, I find that an interesting word to use because it implies a certain uh, demand, as if, you know, we are going to sustain this industry, so you must give us what we want. I think that the studios will only do whatever makes them money. They have no interest in the history of film, maintaining the hist- no. their legacy as a company. None. Whatever is going to make them money, that's what they will do. So – that's why this whole thing about the whole 4K Ultra Blu-ray thing, I, I, I don't know where that's going, man. I just don't.
0: I think the fact that there are companies out there like Twilight Time and Olive and Shout Factory <coughs> who, um, who go to the studios and say, there's a collector's market for these movies. Would you please let us license them? That bodes well. Unfortunately, a lot of these movies need to be restored. They need to be restored badly, really, really. I mean, they need a lot of work. And those companies are not able to do that extensive restoration work. So to my mind, I'm, I'm less concerned about the privilege of collectors, which I think exists on a certain level. I mean, you hear people whining and, you know, why isn't this out and you know, why is it – and they know all the versions. Why isn't this version of that movie out? I'm so insulted. You need to release blah, 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 blah. I think that exists, and it always will exist, and I don't think the studios care, but I'm much more concerned about why they aren't restoring certain movies. I'm okay with a movie not being released on packaged media as long as I know that they've, went, they've gone and they've gotten the elements out, and they've gone to somebody like Robert Harris, and they've given him the money to, to, so that it will last forever, so I know it's not rotting somewhere in a vault.
1: But if they give them the money, the way to make that money back is to then release it on Blu-ray.
0: Or or streaming, if they make a real big streaming push. I mean, because that's where a lot of money is now. Well, so, here's the thing, though. Like, way, I, I want those movies restored.
1: I I was at the office the other day, and in completely unrelated conversation, that I came from nowhere. One of my editors says I was kind of coming in in the, in the middle of the conversation. One of my editors says, "You know, I don't like it if Blu-ray goes away." And again, I don't work at a Blu-ray company. Whatever, I just. He goes, I don't care – what it bothers me about Blu-ray going away potentially is that you're going to miss the, the commentaries, the documentaries, right. all the stuff that makes it a legacy title worth learning about, caring about, mm. putting it in context, historical context. You're going to miss all that if it's just streaming. Wade, you liked that cake, didn't you?
0: Damn good cake. Thank you very much. Yeah.
1: By the way, you realize I made that cake like two weeks ago and froze it, and then I unfroze a slice just for you. Wow. My gosh! Well, because here's the thing. I, I, I'm special. I, the thing, I, I, you know, you're special, all right. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I like baking, and I I, I want to learn how to bake cakes, but I don't want to bake a nine inch cake because I mean I don't have a wife for kids. No one to serve it to. I'm not going right. to it to work. Screw them. So I make six inch cakes. So I'm looking for recipes for six inch cakes. I found that recipe. All right. That's good.
0: It is good. Anyway,
1: really good. so it's a it's a it's a great question, Eric. It's a wide ranging question, as Wade says. We could talk about for next half an hour. I'll just say that – put it this way. If every single movie ever made came out in a Blu-ray special edition, I would be happy with saying that was the last word in all packaged media forever. Agreed. But now you've got movies that aren't coming out at all – they haven't come out on Blu-ray. They come out on bare bones with the, with a with transfer that's not good or elements that are old, and so you get a lot of variations of quality that makes me feel like a lot of great movies. The definitive packaged version has yet to be released.
0: And on that note, and thank you again, Eric. It's a really good question. On that note, we're going to wrap out with some uh, classic films. We've got stuff from uh, the the aforementioned Twilight Time Criterion. MGM and Twentieth and uh, and Kino. Let's uh, let's see if we can wh- we, if we can get through these. Uh, I'm going to start off with some twilight time titles. Uh, the latest batch of twilight time is really good. All of them on Blu-ray. None of them ever before on Blu-ray. Pretty great stuff. Guess who's coming to dinner? Not a good film, but a really important film. Uh, Stanley Kramer. I mean, this you know th- th- this is one of those. Legendary films that everyone's heard of, very few people have seen. It but really is not a good movie. <laughs> it's not a good movie. <laughs> it really, but it was a Stanley yeah, Kramer th-
1: th- movie. Th- look, the yeah. whole idea of this movie is like the whole thing <laughs> hinges on whether the old white man. Is going to like emerge from his the, little throne well, the, the room, old
0: white liberal.
1: Old white liberal, will yes. emerge from his throne room and decide well, whether his white daughter can marry the African American.
0: First of all, first of all, Catherine Hepburn is wonderful in this. Spencer Tracy is wonderful, and Sidney Poitier is wonderful. Who is not wonderful is is Catherine Houghton, who who is uh, uh, I know. Catherine you, Hepburn's niece.
1: What are you going to do? And she's just
0: terrible. <laughs> she's is? just absolutely terrible in this film, and everything about her, you just go, "Why is she in this movie?" And then you find out she's Catherine Hepburn's niece, and you go, "Oh." That's why. Because she sticks out like a sore thumb in a, in a cast of greats. But obviously the idea is you know, this white liberal, Spencer Tracy, who so all for racial equality. Um, if suddenly his daughter came home with a black fiancé, how liberal would he really be? And he, you're right. He goes to his throne room and he has to wrestle with it. And you know, Everyone who knows this is a Stanley Kramer movie, you know he's not going to come out and, and you know turn into Archie Bunker. You, it's, not, it's just not going to happen. I would love That's to not see this that movie. I know. It would be great. You know, but Kramer's
1: work has not held up. It, it really does hasn't. Well,
0: it didn't hold up at the time. It didn't well, hold up all at the these, time.
1: There were all these on-the-nose issue movies. It was. It, although it, On the Beach, I liked On the Beach, although I don't like the blue screen shots of of, of Fred Astaire driving a race car.
0: You realize at the time, after, Oliver, St- after <laughs> Oliver Stone made Natural Born Killers, Quentin Tarantino so hated it that to him the ultimate insult was to say Oliver Stone is Stanley Kramer with style. <laughs> I mean that's that to him was an insult, so that tells you how. I'm not even sure to, I understand that. <laughs> that's how Tarantino feels about Stanley Kramer as well. Uh, it, William Rose wrote an okay script, but it's very theatrical. It's very stagey. It, it's clearly all shot on a sound stage. But it's historically significant. A group of uh, film historians give you a commentary. You get some introductions, which include, uh, you know, uh, Tom Brokaw, Steven Spielberg, and Quincy Jones, uh, and uh, you know, a whole bunch of uh, behind-the-scenes and supporting stuff, which all of it, all of it contextualizes this. And gives you a sense of why this film was important at the time. But look, let's be serious. Um, she she doesn't come home with a black man. She comes home with Sidney Poitier, the, the greatest, <laughs> just <laughs> okay. man, just, the handsomest, I, most you know, upright
1: man ever to it, live. It's
0: like he, you, you would you would throw your child overboard to just to. to it's like I don't even care if you're going to marry him. I'm, dis, I'm disowning you, and now I'm going to you know this is I want this Sidney Poitier for my child instead because he's just so amazing. He transcends. He doesn't <laughs> just transcend race. He transcends like mortality. <laughs>
1: Now, I mean, if, if if she came home, if she came home with like with like Fred Barry from What's Happening, <laughs> that'd be exactly. a whole different
0: movie. A whole different movie. Um, also uh, from Twilight Time. Uh, is uh, Woody Allen's Midsummer Night's Sex Comedy. They keep mining these great Woody Allen films. This is not classic Woody, but it's really fun Woody. Uh, maybe one of the last super fun Woodys. It's just completely off the wall. All the people he was working with at the time, including Mia Farrow and uh, Tony Roberts, great cast. Also in this, uh, Jose Ferreira, Julie Haggerty. Super fun, silly movie. Summer Lovers, uh, it was just cheese ball at the time. I remember this is a movie we made fun of because Randall Kleiser went from Blue Lagoon into this, and it just felt like his next stop was going to be softcore. Um, basically just a, a you know a, a love triangle. With, well, I think it's a love triangle, just a menage a trois with Peter Gallagher, Daryl Hannah, and Valerie Kennison. Um, just cavorting around in the sun and, and the surf and the sand in Europe and, uh, it, it, you know, not much else going on there. But it's become kind of a weird, kitsch classic. Uh, House of Bamboo, pretty terrific movie, actually. Uh, Samuel Fuller, uh, one of his best films, I think, really one of his best films, certainly one of his best-looking films from 1955. Great, great, just a super cool gangster film. Uh, that, is, that is a must-have on Blu-ray. And then uh, the last one from Twilight Time, which is really interesting, is Yoji Yamada's uh, The Little House. Yoji Yamada, of course, is the Oscar-nominated director of uh, The Twilight Samurai, a foreign language nominee some years ago. Great director. He made this last year, 2014. It got no traction here. So uh, this amazingly cool look at a uh, a Japanese uh, family against uh, the period of the 1930s and 40s. Uh, just all the political turmoil going along there, is is just absolutely wonderful. Uh, it's one of his best films and, uh, in a very, very distinguished career. They picked this up from the Shokiku Library, and I applaud them for doing so.
1: Wait, here's mark. what I applaud. yes. I applaud two great uh, criterions this week. When have we ever said this week two crappy criterions, two criterions that just really didn't uh, hit the mark? We never said that. No. But there, there are always good criterions. Never happens. Well, now we're talking day for night, folks. Day for night, Truffaut, 1973. Yeah, I love this movie. This is one of the great movies about uh, movie making and what movie making means. There's a funny line in the movie where where, um, Truffaut plays the director who's directing this film, and he says that making a movie is like taking a stagecoach trip through the Old West. He says, at first you hope for a pleasant trip, then you hope to reach your destination, which is pretty much what movie making can be a lot of times. And this movie is just really just this is fun stuff. It's it, it's a farce, but it's not like silly, you know. It's it's and because it's true. it can't just be like a like a, a parody or a, 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 a about movie making. There's got to be these other themes about how like whether or not films, how films stack up in terms of like life itself and whether films are more important than life, what it means to make a film, awesome. all the sort a great of other movie. stuff. It's just a great movie. It's, it's a great. It's, movie. it's got a great cast. Um, and you know, I have to say that um, this is 1973, so it is moderately late to end Perry a Truffaut. He still had a bunch of good films left in him, which was uh, which is cool. But this is just it's very compassionate, it's got a lot of references to other movies and other people, but it's not like super inside, especially because a lot of the people he name checks maybe you wouldn't have heard of because it's from 1973. But uh, I just think this thing is just terrific, it's just a beautiful crazy, cool, big, sloppy kiss to the filmmaking industry, what it means to make movies and what movies mean to people and uh, yeah, day for night 1973, of course uh, Criterion knocks it out of the park uh, with a 2K restoration which looks pretty good, 4K would have been better but 2K is good too a uh, bunch of film scholar stuff, a documentary uh, from 2003 about the film a bunch of archival interviews from, uh, uh, that include uh, Truffaut, anyway this is great stuff uh performances are great. Uh it's it's not hilarious funny, but it's just really a pleasant, fun parody farce about making a movie. Sweet. Liked it a lot.
0: And uh then some spaghetti westerns as we wrap this out. Well, uh, was,
1: yeah, but we gotta say this. Well
0: you finish 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 with that and then we'll do I'll do the spaghetti westerns, then we're done.
1: Let well, us dress to kill. Do it. Dressed to kill nineteen eighty. This is yeah. Brian De Palma. This is this is Brian De Palma. It's hard to believe, you know. Brian De Palma is probably known most to modern audiences as, as the guy who happened to direct the first Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. which at <laughs> yeah. the time was like a that was a weird choice to direct Mission Impossible because Brian De Palma was, but it was almost oh, it was a good one. Yeah. Brian De Palma was almost a a genre. There was a De Palma film. When you say yeah. De Palma film, stylistically that meant something. Just a lot of just crazy virtuoso, explicit violence and creepiness, and just. Uh, you know, if you saw, like, like uh, a Blowout, you know, that's another diploma film that's just yeah. terrific. All the, all the, um, Hitch- all the quasi-Hitchcock all stuff. All that quasi-Hitchcock stuff is just great. So this is Dressed to Kill. It's, uh, it's about this murder in Manhattan and the woman's uh, shrink and son and this prostitute. They all kind of get together to try to solve the murder. And uh, it's great. It's so incredibly stylistic. I, I can't say that from a story perspective. This is like the greatest thing ever made. But it's so stylish, and the museum sequence is amazing. And the stuff, uh, it just even this uh, this one sheet, right, with with, with the leg and the. Um,
0: it's a it's a cla- it's one of the all time classics. of the all time
1: classic yeah. one sheets right just reminds you of that scene in the film, which is so great. Um, it's great. It's just a terrific movie. I cannot, uh, I cannot recommend it enough. From 1980, again, a lot of the people here are still around, so you do get new conversations with, uh, with De Palma and Noah Bombach. Kind of an interesting Q&A there. New interviews with Nancy Allen and the producer of the film, uh, George Leto, the composer. And uh, the 2001 documentary on the making of Dress to Kill. It's just a really, really good movie.
0: And from the heyday of the uh, Spaghetti Western, we have a quartet from uh, Kino Lorber, part of their uh, Studio Classics line. Uh, in the first one is from 1967. This is Navajo Joe with Burt Reynolds playing a vengeful Native American. I think Burt Reynolds is part, of Native, part Native American, isn't he? I think he he's like part good. Cherokee or something in real life.
1: He's part cool. Anyway, they
0: really, they really you know, make him up here. Burt Reynolds uh, actually made a Spaghetti Western, uh, in this case for um, director Sergio Corbucci, who, of course, was the original Django Director And uh, it's okay. It's not bad. It, it dates surprisingly well, uh, much better than a lot of the stuff, mainly because Burt Reynolds is so good in it. And uh, that's from 1967. It also includes a commentary by film historian Gary Palmucci. And then uh, it also has a trailer for the next film, which is A Reason to Live, A Reason to Die which is from uh, Tonino Valeri, one of the lesser spaghetti known uh, lesser known spaghetti western guys, uh who uh, mainly known for my na- uh, my name is nobody and uh this one he has a great cast, James Coburn, Tally Savalas and Bud Spencer. If you don't know Bud Spencer, you'll know him when you see him on screen. Uh anyway, this is a uh this is all kind of uh civil war related but on the fringes of the civil war, there's a there's kind of a um uh, a, I don't want to call it a heist film, but there's a fort capture thing going on. It's actually pretty, pretty decent film. Uh, you also get Telly Savalas in A Town Called Hell, which is from Robert Parrish. This is not technically a um, spaghetti western, but it kind of belongs to that same era. It was from 1971, just a year before A Reason to Live, A Reason to Die. And uh, Robert Parrish made a lot of pretty decent films from the era, including like The Destructors. Uh, you got a nice cast with Robert Shaw in this as well. This is, uh, it, it's you know, uh, kind of uh, what you, Magnificent Seven-ish in some respects. Good cast. Uh, Robert Shaw, Martin Landau, Stella Stevens, uh, Fernando Ray, and Telly Savalas. Come on. Telly Savalas is great in movies. And then lastly, also from the Spaghetti Western uh, field, is f- director Sergio Solima's Face to Face. Which has a great Ennio Morricone score. And by the way, Ennio Morricone also scored uh, Navajo Joe, but face to face is just sensational, Uh, absolutely terrific. Um, Beautiful, beautiful score, one of his most underrated scores, I think, because so few people actually know about it. But uh, this is just a, this is actually supposedly a parable about fascism transitioning to the American West and it's uh, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense I'm not sure I totally buy it, but it does kind of make sense so anyway, this has both versions of it, the Italian cut and the American cut, which are in many respects pretty different, so that's a good release as well, so bravo bravo Uh, uh, Kina Lorber, you've given us some great spaghetti westerns and quasi-spaghetti westerns to uh, to chew on this week with that Mark, we are done we're done we're done you're next week.